our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. You're listening to Sunday on the Commons, a podcast featuring sermons from the United Congregational Church in Little Compton, Rhode Island. This week, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Richard Floyd, stepping in for Pastor Rebecca on maternity leave. This week is Trinity Sunday, and Reverend Floyd leads us in an exploration of the one holy and undivided Trinity. Let's listen as he helps us poke our theological imaginations. today is from Proverbs chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 and 22 through 31. Does not wisdom call and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals she cries out. To you O people I call and my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. Here ends the first reading. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Herein 
given us this morning's lessons. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I come from a very small family. Uh, my, uh, my father was an only child. Uh, my mother had one sister. I never had a cousin. I always had cousin envy growing up. My own, my own children, my grandchildren have lots of cousins. My mother's older sister was named Grace. She was a year older than my sister, than my mother, and she outlived her by 40 years. My mother died when I was 18 at the age of 53, and Grace lived to be 93. And having no children of her own, my siblings and I were like children to her, and she was like a mother to us. And she was a devout Christian. She was a Presbyterian. We won't hold that against her. <laughs> there were no congregational churches where she was. So it's all good. And she was very proud of her nephew, the minister. Too proud, actually. So much so that I had to watch her caregivers in the nursing center in the last years of, their, of her life roll their eyes when she introduced me as my nephew, the minister. They had all met me many times, but she was a little forgetful in her later years, although still pretty sharp when she died at 93. She liked to ask me theological questions. And one day she said, I don't understand the Trinity. I wanted to say, well, you're in good company. <laughs> but since I am the family representative on things theological, I did the best I could to help her out. She continued, she said, I've always prayed to the Father, but my minister said we can pray to any of the three persons of the Trinity because they are all God. She went on, I understand the Father, I think, the creator of all things. And I understand Jesus, but I'm not sure about the Holy Spirit. What exactly is it? I said, Grace, the first thing to remember is the Holy Spirit isn't an it, but a he, or a case can be made, a she, since ruach, the word for spirit in Hebrew, and pneuma, the word for spirit in Greek, are both feminine nouns. Isn't that interesting? And what about this, this wisdom lady that was with God at the beginning of creation that we just heard about? Well, that's another sermon for another day, but he, which we're going to stick with for the rest of the sermon because that's what Jesus did in the John reading, or she, but never it, for the Spirit. And the reason for that. The Holy Spirit is not an it because God is personal, and God's Spirit is personal too. The Spirit is invisible, but personal. Not an it, not an impersonal force like the force be with you in Star Wars. That's an it. I suggested to my aunt that she might think of the Trinity the way I imagined the very earliest Christians did. The very earliest Christians, of course, were all Jews. And they worshipped 
the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who they believe was the creator of the universe, the one God. And Jesus talked about this God and called him Father. In fact, the word Jesus used to, describe, to call his father in Aramaic, which was the language Jesus spoke, was a diminutive. So closer to our English daddy than to the more formal father. He called God daddy, which has intimacy and affection. You know, I wrote this sermon, I didn't even think it was going to be Father's Day. Wow. Intimacy and affection. Jesus had this intimacy and affection with the one he called Abba. Now, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church thought more and more of God the Father and Jesus somehow sharing an identity. So much so that they began calling Jesus Lord, something we take for granted, Lord Jesus Christ, but that was the term previously given only to the Father, Lord. And that was a radical theological shift to call a human being Lord for these monotheistic Jews. It was a big deal. And to make it even more interesting, Lord was the term that the Roman citizens used for Caesar the Emperor, Lord Caesar. So from the beginning, calling Jesus Lord was a political act and could get you in trouble. And even if you had a, an emperor prone to persecution, you could end up as lion food in the Colosseum. So the church began to think, everybody with me so far? Good. I said to Rebecca, you have such an attentive congregation. I mean, I, maybe you're faking it, but it, <laughs> So the church began to think of Jesus as God's human representative. Or to put it another way, Jesus was the human face of God. God in person, we might say. And in time, over a long time, the church developed doctrines around this, the doctrine of incarnation, which we know that 1 Corinthians 5.19 said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So that helps us understand the relationship between the Father and the Son, Jesus. But what about the Holy Spirit? My Aunt Grace was right. That seems to be the forgotten person in some circles. Where does the Spirit come in? Now, Jesus had promised the disciples that after he left them, the Spirit would come to tell them all that they needed to know. I like to think in the church, that's still true. You know, when we gather for a congregational meeting or when we gather to worship, the Spirit is present with us and will tell us all that we need to know. Now, not necessarily any one individual. That's one of the reasons I'm a congregationalist, because I think we're wiser together than any of us are by ourselves. The spirit, the spirit comes to us in collectives rather than so much individually. The spirit comes individually as well. But. 
but that's a, a, a digression, which is one of my skill sets. So then our gospel lesson from John today has Jesus telling the disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own but will speak whatever he hears and he will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you all that the father has is mine for this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you now eventually there developed a doctrine um, of mutual indwelling this idea that the three persons of the trinity are distinct, but they mutually indwell one another, and there's a unity within Trinity. Um, so to think of, um, actually there's a wonderful phrase called perichoresis, which has been described as a, it's like a dance, the persons of the Trinity, maybe like a, a contra dance or a square dance where the persons of the Trinity um, are, are dancers, and the dance is bigger than any of the people involved in it, but they remain distinct keeping in mind that every human analogy for the Trinity tends to be heresy, but, but sometimes helpful. So this, if we think of Jesus as God in person, as the human face of God, then we might think of the spirit as the presence of God, um, the invisible presence of God. The spirit, it's the, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus our contemporary and not just an inspiring dead man from long ago. It's the spirit that makes Jesus our contemporary, and uh, it is God's spirit that allows us to know God, God's and Jesus' presence and power now. That means the God we worship is alive, a living God, and still speaking and acting, and not just a deity we have heard reports about from the past. And my aunt's minister was right. You can pray to any person of the Trinity because they are all God. When my aunt said she prayed to the Father, she was reflecting the most typical way Christians have prayed over the centuries and the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. So that's the typical way when we pray. We pray to the first person of the Trinity. And uh, the most often used form in Christian worship over the centuries is to pray to the Father through the Son in the Spirit. I really like that. To the Father through the Son in the Spirit. But that is not the only way Christians can pray. There are other prayers in the Bible that directly address the other persons of the Trinity. Can you think of some? How about, come Holy Spirit, come. How about, come Lord Jesus? Well, pray directly to the, uh, the second and third person of the Trinity. And it is no accident that I have been speaking of prayer and worship when I talk about the Trinity because it is in that context that the Trinity makes the most sense. It was in worship that the earliest Christians understood God in these three aspects or three modes of being. They worshiped. They knew they worshiped the God of Israel, and they remembered Jesus and experienced Jesus' presence even after his death through the Holy Spirit. And yet, they were monotheists. 
They were good Jews. They only worshiped one God. So they knew this was not three different gods, but the one God in these three aspects or three modes of being, each separate but sharing the unity of the Godhead. So this triune God, and, and I want to say, I think, sometimes, sometimes we can sing things better than we can say them. You think of the Trinity. I have, we have three really good Trinitarian hymns today. We're going to finish with Holy, Holy, Holy. And Come the Almighty King, which references all three persons of the Trinity. Um, sometimes we can't get our head around uh, doctrinal concepts, but we can, we can get our heart around them and with our voice when we sing um, in worship. So this triune God is a God who still comes among his people in presence and power and worship and elsewhere. This God still speaks, and that is a good thing, too, because the way the world is continues to challenge us to hear what God would say to us, how God would inspire us, uh, comfort us, uh, maybe push us and nudge us to certain kinds of activities, still speaking God. So the Bible is our authoritative text, but it only becomes the word of God when the living God turns the, the dead letter into a live word directly to us. And that puts upon the church the responsibility of being a community of discernment and imagination. Uh, well, this is my third sermon with you, and I have a few more. And holy imagination is one of my things. To one of, one of the things I think we do here is we stretch, we, we poke, we enlarge, we wonder out of our holy imagina religious imaginations. And I think of um, preaching a sermon and also listening to a sermon, because it's not just me, it's us. I think of them as acts of religious imagination in which the, the words of the texts of scripture are put in conversation with the context of our contemporary world and our lives. Text and context. Um, and we need to be imaginative. Because think about this for a minute. The Bible knew nothing of greenhouse gases or partial term abortions. It knew nothing of SUVs or 401ks, nothing of computer chips or video games, nothing of airplanes or automobiles or telephones, much less smartphones that are bigger than the computers they used to put a man on the moon, nothing about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, nothing about space travel. So for Christians, it is not just enough to say the Bible says, because there's a lot it doesn't say. And some of what it does say we have to reject like polygamy, child sacrifice, um, stoning adulterers, to pick just a couple of examples, not to mention no shellfish and pork. But having said that, the Bible is a reliable guide for faith and practice for the church because it tells us enough of who God is and what God does for us for us to discern what God is saying to us today. God has given us reason to think things through and a conscience to sort the good from the bad. 
So we have to listen carefully to God, what God might say to us in these days from what we do know about God and other things. Because the Bible does tell us many things. It tells us about mercy and forgiveness, about love and justice, about wealth and poverty, about faithfulness and discipleship, about stewardship and mission, about wisdom and folly, about life and death. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And if we live as long as my Aunt Grace and we listen to the God who still speaks and follow his son Jesus and attend to God's living spirit as she did, we just may live as good and full and faithful a life as she did. And that, my friends, would be a good thing. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And if you'd like to show some appreciation for what you've heard today, we invite you to please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our ministry by clicking the donate link in the show notes. The tradition at our church is to end every service with this simple prayer. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace.